It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later in the program, Dr. Siobhan Walsh on a record 2022 cereal harvest. Potato growers say they need a fair price. Food Vision Beef and Sheep Group require ministerial intervention, it's been claimed by the ICSA. Deputy Michael Creed on the 2030 bovine TB eradication target. But first, conference news with Mr Stuart Giles, dairy specialist for the southwest region based at Chagas Moorpark near Fomoy. Stuart, you have details of the upcoming dairy conference. Yes, John. Um, so the National Dairy Conference, has, well, I suppose, for the last number of years has been online as a result of COVID. So we're back in uh, back at the coal face again now this year and we're going to be out in the ground. Um, and people, look, that's a good thing for us to be actually able to get out and meet people. And obviously it's good for people to be able to meet one another at, at the event as well. So from a kind of a networking point of view. So this year's conference is taking place on Tuesday, the 6th of December in the Rochestown Park Hotel in Cork. So that's uh, very close to Douglas uh, Village for people that aren't familiar with the city. And um, a little bit beyond the tunnel on the way in um, for people that will be attending it. So as I said there, it's the 6th of December um, in the Rochestown Park Hotel. And it's starting at 10 a.m. Um, I suppose, what, what are we going to cover on the day? I suppose we have uh, Conor Galvin, who's the new CEO to, for Dairy World, having replaced Jim Wolf at the start of this year, is going to be speaking at the Dairy Conference for the first time. Jim would have spoken at the Dairy Conference in the past, so people might like to hear Conor speaking. And Conor's going to be addressing the evolving demands of dairy products customers, so basically who Dairy World are selling to, what are they looking for? And I suppose giving that information then on to the farmer audience and the industry audience that are present, just to make it clear what demands are being put on dairy gold, which subsequently have to be moved on towards the suppliers in order to meet the requirements that the customers have from them. And I suppose the other person that's going to speak in that session, along with Connor then, is Dr Mary Flynn from the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. And Mary's just going to outline the role of high-quality dairy products in human nutrition. So I suppose it's... The idea of this is, I suppose, is to give people a little bit of ammunition maybe to help them defend themselves because, as you know, the dairy farmers, I suppose, in particular in farming as a whole, is kind of under a bit of pressure in relation to our climate targets, etc., and question marks about whether the source of, of nutrition that is being provided by both dairy and meat is uh, justified and should vegan diets and vegetarian diets be the, the way for most people. So I think Mary's going to cover the information around that to kind of counter those arguments that a balanced diet is the key to, to all people's best nutrition, really, rather than anything in specifically in one direction. 
I suppose moving into the meat of the matter then for the second session um, of the morning we'll be, where we'll be addressing lower nitrogen input systems. Obviously, as I said already, with climate targets, there's an objective there that we reduce our fertiliser usage. And we've seen big uptake in that in terms of, when I say big uptake, I mean a big reduction in the amount of fertiliser that was purchased this year, which is a very positive thing. Now, that was driven by price, but it's also been helped along the way by inclusion of clover and swards. And some people have really addressed this and taken it on and have moved on to quite significant levels of clover on their farms already in a very short space of time. But they're the early adopters, I suppose, and the vast majority of people are still maybe just tipping the toe in the water. So Deirdre Hennessy is going to cover the nitrogen strategy in relation to clover swords. So there's some nitrogen needs to be applied uh, potentially to clover swords. Um, when should it be applied and how much should be applied? So Deirdre is going to cover that uh, for people that are uh, looking to learn more in relation to clover. I suppose the other question that crops up with clover then, John, is that... Uh, what way are the herd actually fed with their relative to grass diets? So Mike Deneen, Mike is from uh, West Cork side. Originally, he studied in America in um, in uh, Cornell University there in relation to uh, nutrition of dairy cows and dairy herds and has worked very closely with Chagas as part of that study with Cornell as well. So Mike is going to discuss the nutrition of the milking herd on high-quality pasture diets, which will in- include grass-only and grass-clover uh, diets um, in that talk. And then I suppose the last piece of that second session then uh, is actually looking at two farmers or one farmer at each conference because there's a, an equivalent conference happening up the north and on Thursday the same week. Um, Michael Gorn from uh, Kilworth is going to be speaking about how he's met the challenges of lowering chemical nitrogen use on his farm. And that's a very, very interesting uh, talk. Um, I've been on Michael's farm myself uh, and he has a very good story to tell and how he's turned the ship around, I suppose, in terms of having used all of his nitrogen allowance in the past to dramatically reducing the amount of nitrogen he's been using on the farm. So that takes us up to lunch, John. And then I suppose after lunch, which uh, as as uh, as my manager, Joe Patton, said the other day, we'll join the lunch for people that are attending on the day. Um, we're going to be talking about dairy calves. And I'm sure many of my colleagues have spoken to in the last number of years around concerns about calf welfare, calf housing, etc., uh, and we're going to address that again, and people might be asking the question as to why we're doing that, but there's there's changes coming. Uh, we probably don't know them fully yet, but there's a lot of talk about the removal of, of export of calves, which is going to increase the number of calves that are going to have to be retained in Ireland, and that may, in, in uh, default, kind of result in more calves staying on farms. And generally, a lot of farms have probably set up their stalls to actually sell their surplus male calves at two to three weeks of age, if that age limit increases, that's going to put pressure on housing and people are going to have to ad- adapt and possibly uh, build housing in order to address the the uh, requirement for it on their houses. So Emer Kennedy has a huge amount of work done in relation to calf management and calf uh, welfare and so forth down through the last number of years. Um, and Emer is going to talk about management and housing guidelines to achieve excellent calf welfare. And we have an example of... Uh, a, sh- a new shed that was built there in recent years and how it's it's very effective in terms of running a very seamless kind of calf rearing operation on the farm that it's from. And then in that second part of that session, we're going to move into, again, I suppose, looking at the Jersey Cross, the Frisian uh, bull calf, the low value type calves that have, uh, I suppose, are, are probably the centre of all those questions around calf, calf welfare in particular looking at a scenario where we can move away from that by increasing the beef merit of those calves and using more beef behind that. And Alan Toomey, uh, who works with us here in Chagas and Park, has done a lot of work in that area in the last number of years, 
trying to basically root out sires that are capable of delivering calving ease, which is a key requirement for dairy farmers, uh, but also delivering beefing ability or beefing capacity in the calf once they're born so that the animal has the ability to be born relatively easily, which is a, a key requirement for dairy farmers, as I said, uh, but actually turn into a very good calf then subsequently that will satisfy the requirements of the factory in terms of uh, confirmation and uh, fat scores, etc., and qualify the farmer for all the bonus payments or the, the, we'll say they make sure that they sit on the grid where the factory are looking for them. And again, we have a farmer practitioner of this again. So we have Liam Long, uh, who's actually from just outside of Ardfin and in, near Clamette in County Tipperary. He's going to be speaking there. Liam has uh, used quite a lot of continental breeds in uh, breeding uh, bull calves or, well, uh, beef calves on his herd once he's finished his dairy replacement AI. So then the final session, I suppose, is uh, just a short, kind of short and sweet update, I suppose, in one way, John, because obviously at that stage of the evening, people will be after getting a huge amount of information from the three previous sessions. Um, and we're just going to go through some very quick um, updates, I suppose, and kind of give just give people information as to what's actually happening, maybe in terms of research work that's going on at the moment. So Adrian O'Callaghan, who you'll be familiar with because Adrian will have been on with you there a number of times down through the last number of years, is going to be discussing benchmarking of dairy costs and key performance indicators for 2023. So obviously costs have gone up quite a lot in the last number of years, or in the last year in particular, I suppose. Um, and Adrian is going to be talking about uh, keeping an eye on that because obviously while milk price has been very good in the past 12 months, if it were to start to drop back and our costs are gone out of kilter, it could actually put, start to put a squeeze on farms. The other thing that's actually begun to change a little bit, we had, had made major progress in relation to somatic cell count uh, over the last maybe decade, I suppose, from 2010 up to 2020. Uh, but cell count is ever so slightly beginning to creep up again at a national level. So Pablo Silva Bologna, who works here on the Mastitis Research in Moorpark, is going to talk about identifying farm management practices to control somatic cell count. So by getting on top of it early in the lactation, doesn't allow it to develop within the herd and by by default actually keeps it lower for the, the majority of the lactation than as, as a result. Finally, I suppose we have two very good speakers on two areas that will be very interesting to people. Um, methane mitigation strategies in pasture-based dairy systems. Uh, a Kilkenny man, Ben Lehart, is going to be talking about that. So Ben is involved in, in using the green feed machines here. Uh, and Ben is actually looking at the different um, available options that are there for feeding to cows to reduce methane emissions. He's also looking at how different um, grazing uh, pastures are influencing um, methane emissions on farms as well. So Ben has, and he's updated, I suppose, figures that would have been generated by Frank O'Mara and his team when uh, Frank was in UCD many years ago. He's now the director of Chagas, obviously, as you know. Um, so Ben is updating, I suppose, newer machine or newer equipment has, has yielded better results, I suppose, maybe than what Frank had used um, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, and those changes are all being brought into the national inventories, which are important in terms of actually addressing our methane emissions and so forth. And as I said, the final speaker then on the day is John Upton. And ironically, John is going to be talking about uh, milking routine and facilities just at the time people would probably be looking about going milking. So John is going to cover off those, uh, how those milking routine influence efficiency within the, in the parlour and also looking at how facilities influence efficiency around the parlour and that's an important point John I suppose from the point of view that 30 to 35 percent of the working day on dairy farms goes into milking so if we can make that as efficient as possible 
it's obviously going to save time for people on the farm, uh, as well as making it a more pleasant place to work, maybe for people that are for people that own, own their own farms, obviously, and people that have work, people working for them. And basically, how John has done this is actually by installing a lot of cameras on farms and observing farmers. It's not a it's not a study that's been done here in Moor Park. It's been done on farm, so observing farmers, uh, start times, finish times practices while milking etc and as I said there's, a, there's some very nice information in it and, and it'll help people as well I suppose that there's little habits that people can develop uh, from time to time I suppose and it's hard to break those habits sometimes but they can actually cost people quite a lot of time when it comes to milking and John is going to uh, identify those probably and point out a few changes that maybe people can make to address milking speed without compromising on milk quality obviously. So that's pretty much summing it up. That's uh, a very a very comprehensive roundup of what's actually going to be on on the day, John. That sounds great, Stuart. Now, can I ask you, please, in order to help the organisers, can people register online if you think you're going to go? Now, everyone's welcome, but if you think you're going to go and you feel this is an important date in your diary, December 6th, the Chagas National Dairy Conference, Roach Park Hotel, just outside Cork City, near Douglas Village, can people register online? to give an idea of numbers. Yes, John, that's a very important point, I suppose, just from the point of view of, of um, dinners, etc. on the day, if we have as much notice as possible in terms of the numbers, it obviously helps us work a lot better with the hotel. Um, we're not going to turn anybody away, but we would like if people would book uh, online or book in advance in particular. And the best way to probably do it is, is just go either go to the Chagas website and it'll be on the front page there, basically, to link to that. Or if people just want to Google Chagas Dairy Conference, more than likely that'll bring them straight into the into the Dairy Conference 2022 page. So the title of the conference is Turning Challenges into Opportunities. And as I said, it's on the 6th of December, Tuesday the 6th of December in the Rochestone Park Hotel. And everybody is welcome to attend. And when does it actually start? What's the starting time? Yeah, so I suppose um, 10 o'clock is the official start time in terms of that's when we'll be uh, starting the, con- the actual conference. Um, so, but people will be able to start uh, accessing Rochestone Park from anywhere from uh, half eight onwards. That's great. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Stuart Childs, Chagas Dairy Specialist for the Southwest Region, based at Moor Park near Formoy. Thank you, Stuart, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. Dr. Siobhan Walsh, Sustainability Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal, joins us on Farm Talk. First of all, Dr. Walsh, welcome to the programme. In this week's journal, you write about a record harvest in 2022. Could you amplify on this, please? Yeah, hi, John. Yeah, so basically, John Chagas came out with the the harvest report. Um, It came out on Tuesday of this week, and I suppose the Chagas harvest report is always, you know, a much-anticipated report. And um, good news coming from from that report this year. So record yields were reported in spring barley, oilseed rape and spring oats. And and overall, cereal production was estimated to be up in the report by 4% or or 93,200 tonnes or so. So our total cereal production um, in the country this year was 2.42 million tonnes. So, you know, normally if we're talking on average or on a five-year average, our, our cereal production is usually coming around coming in around the 2.2 million tonnes. Um, so it's significantly higher this year. And I suppose there's a few things um, playing playing into that, John. You know, we had higher yields in some crops, but we had lower yields in other crops. Um, but as well, our cereal area was up. So um, we, had, we had, I suppose, a, a good winter planting season 
season last year. So in 2021, um, there was a good opportunity to plant winter crops and a lot of winter crops did go in. And I suppose we feared that the spring barley area would drop. But um, as a result of the war in Ukraine, um, the Minister for Agriculture and the, the Fodder and Food Security Committee um, was established. And, and after that committee was established, um, the minister set up the tillage incentive scheme to try and incentivize farmers, um, not just tillage farmers, to grow tillage crops and to grow more grain and produce more feed um, in the country. And backing up that good news, looking at the positive side of things, a good price available, I believe, for winter oilseed rape, up 19,000 hectares in 2022, with an early harvest there. So good news for people who are selling oilseed rape, OSR. Yeah, so um, oilseed rape growers, I suppose there was there was fairly good prices available last winter when, when those crops that were reporting the record yields of went in and, and people took advantage of that. And now this year as well, prices are, are still relatively good um, compared to, to inputs and the effort that goes into oilseed rape. Um, and of course, John, oilseed rape has to go in relatively early. So it, it, it can go in up until about the 10th of September. And this year with the early harvest, people had a great opportunity um, to put in oilseed rape um, and they took advantage of that and hopefully they've taken advantage of some of some of the prices available as well um, just to give you an idea like on the on the winter oilseed rape so that was a record yield this year as Chagas reported and they reported an average um, of 5.1 tonnes per hectare in that crop and, and that's up 0.6 of a tonne on 2021 and I suppose overall John Oilseed rape has improved dramatically as a crop in recent years. Um, you know, for a while it was a crop people probably feared growing because there's, a, uh, I suppose, a bit of a risk of, of pod loss and pod shatter and, and anyone who knows what an oilseed rape crop looks like or, or what, the, what the seed looks like up close, it's, it's tiny. And, you know, if a gust of wind comes when it's nearly ready to harvest, it used to be a case that farmers were afraid that they would lose a lot of their yields. But but things like pod shatter resistance has been built into oilseed rape crops now, and the risk is kind of taken out of it. So that's contributed to having a higher yield um, of winter oilseed rape, um, and, and growers have more confidence in it now. So it's estimated that there's 19,000 hectares of oilseed rape gone in in 2022. So that's gone in from in August and September this year. Last year, that figure was 14,500, and the year before, that figure was 10,000. So the oilseed rape area has actually increased by 4,500 hectares in 2021 and again in 2022. Um, and that's really good as well, John, because oilseed rape is a super break crop. So while farmers, you know, will hopefully get a good price for their, for their oilseed rape and the better yields now from those crops, they also will have an advantage in the following crop as well because hopefully the following crop will yield higher. Now, just to moderate that very excellent picture of a record harvest for 2022, winter cereal, the area under winter cereals was down apparently. That might be something to you know, moderate our enthusiasm, but nonetheless, an excellent overall picture. Yes, yeah, so winter cereal, I suppose winter cereal plantings for, for next harvest have gone down. So winter cereals, um, the majority of which are in now, look, some farmers might still try to plant some, but weather isn't isn't on our side there. Um, but winter cereal plantings um, for for 2022-2023 are down by about 30,000 hectares. 
um, this season. That's where Jagas are estimating at the minute. Look, that figure is still subject to change. Um, but I suppose, John, when we talk about all those record yields and while Spring Barley had a record yield, um, and indeed Winter Wheat matched its record of, of 2015 at 11 tonne per hectare, um, Winter Barley is a crop that didn't do as well. So I suppose um, that, while weather has certainly contributed to winter cereal area being down, I think a lot of growers in a survey that we would have carried out in the Farmer's Journal would have showed that some growers were reducing the area of winter barley that they were going to sow. And look, John, there's a lot of high costs involved in, in sowing at the minute, um, whether it's fertiliser or crop protection. And winter barley requires more inputs than, than spring barley. Um, so that has that has, I suppose cause growers to, to take a look and see well should I be growing winter barley or will I grow spring barley and of course they have an option, there's no tree crop rule um, being implemented at the minute um, because of food security concerns so they have the option to plant all their farm in a spring crop if they wanted and it certainly seems like some farmers have opted to go for that spring crop and look they did well with spring barley this year so it's a good option to take. We had a record spring barley yield this year of 8.1 tonnes per hectare, that's about 3.3 tonnes per acre um, on, on average so really good spring barley yields so look for a lot of people they're thinking it makes sense um, to have lower inputs and still get that good yield from their spring barley. That's excellent overall. Uh, Dr Siobhan Walsh, Sustainability Specialist, Irish Farmers Journal. We were just looking at your article there, November 26th, uh, Record Harvest for 2022, and just another article which we don't want to get involved in because the situation... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is so volatile it changes uh, day by day almost. But in a separate article by your colleague in the paper, Dr. Anne Finnegan, policy analyst, Black Sea Grain Deal Extended. But that's something people can read and just follow the TV and news reports because we know it's so volatile. But certainly in terms of the picture as regards being inching towards self sufficiency in our cereal production, a very good picture from Ireland. Dr Siobhan Walsh, Siobhan, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. 
joining us on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme, Deputy Michael Creed, Finnegan Cork Northwest. First of all, Michael, welcome to the programme. Now, during your term as Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, you set a target of 2030 for the elimination of bovine TB. Now, to what extent, reviewing the years in between since you were Minister, reviewing the time in between, do you feel that is still a realistic target of 2030 for the elimination of bovine TB. Uh, good morning, John, and good morning to your listeners, and thank you for having me on. Um, I, I certainly do. Um, I, I recall back in May 2018 getting government approval uh, at Cabinet for that ambition, signing up to a, a deadline, a target of TB eradication by 2030, and I suppose you have to put this in context, perhaps tr- three aspects to it. One, acknowledging that at farm gate level, TB is a scourge that causes huge trauma uh, at, 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 at individual farm level, uh, financial trouble, and, and, and indeed for herdsmen you know, who become attached, particularly to dairy herds, um, the trauma of seeing a herd of cows go down with TB is... is is unimaginable. Also, we're since the 1950s we're at this. We have spent billions of euros at it, and it's time we put an end to the scourge of TB. And we're doing that finally in the context of a global effort. Even the World Health Organization has 2030 deadlines as well, a target of 80% reduction uh, of the incidence of TB and 90% reduction in the incidence of TB-related deaths in the, in, in, in the human population. So we're part of a kind of, a, in that context, a global endeavor on TB. And I, I certainly believe it's imperative that we get there. Uh, it's not easy. One of the things which we envisaged in the context of that government decision was the stakeholder forum. And that's effectively to, for all the stakeholders to take an ownership of this endeavor, how to get there, uh, what the resources required will be. It certainly won't be achieved if we think doing the same thing that we've been doing for the last 50 years will get us there. We need to change that significantly. But I think where there's a will, there's a way. We certainly now have all of the the missing pieces previously of the jigsaw in terms of, you could say, our, our position up to now has been a kind of a holding pattern, keeping it at an acceptably low level if there's ever such a thing. But we now have with the advent, for example, of, of, of vaccination in the badger herd for, uh, population, for example, we, we have instruments at our disposal now that make elimination a realistic uh, proposition. And we look at international experience as well, where they've achieved this already in, in other countries. And the role of deer, that's been pointed out as being possibly one of the problems we have in this country, the extent of the wild deer population explosion. Yeah, and look, one of the problems that we had always in the department was the lack of data. There was plenty of anecdotal evidence of, you know, a, a TB outbreak and, you know, visible signs of, of wild deer encroaching onto farmland and, and putting two and two together and coming up with uh, sometimes uh, answers that the science didn't back up. That's not to say they weren't true, but we lacked the data. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see now under the auspices of the forum which was established that there's now 
a deer forum within that that's looking at this and is going to try and quantify what the contribution is of the deer herd to the TB incidence and how we might deal with that. I think that's a very welcome development. And it's ably chaired by Teddy Cashman, who's a corkman with considerable experience in the agricultural sector. So I think that will bring uh, significant uh, additional information to the endeavour, which is important. The people contributing to the Joint Eurocracy Committee for Agriculture on Bovine TB Eradication, there did seem to be overall a very positive, hopeful, optimistic attitude expressed by most people. They still were willing to give it a try and do the very best they could to ease this burden on farmers. And we often talk about, in different sectors, vested interests. But surely the key vested interest must be the farmer, followed um, shortly after by the taxpayer. Well, look, we have to take hope from the fact that TB eradication has been achieved elsewhere. In Australia, it has been eradicated. In other northern European countries, it has been eradicated. We have to take hope from that. And as I said earlier, I think we have the piece of the jigsaw that perhaps eluded us up to now. Particularly, I think the big one is vaccination of badgers. I think that's important. In fact, as early as this morning, uh, as I was coming to Dublin, I was passing through Mill Street, and I, I was aware of, of department efforts going on in North Cork in the area of uh, you know, badger vaccinations um, happening even as, as we speak today. Um, so um, it's, it's, uh, it's, from an epidemiological point of view, from a veterinary medicine point of view, it's possible. The question is, are we prepared to do the things that will take the steps, the necessary steps that will get us there? And there are different steps to the ones which we've been taking since the 1950s and the ones which have cost us to date nearly 7 billion euros in today's money since the 1950s. The clock is ticking. Um, From an Irish farmer's point of view, it's a no-brainer. We have to do the different things that will get us there, and that will deliver financially for farmers. The other point, which is worth bearing in mind, we get financial support from the European Union for this endeavour, but that level of support is waning. Why? Because the EU has other challenges on the disease front to deal with. For example, diseases that were previously the preserve of areas like North Africa, blue tongue, uh, other, other diseases more exotic becoming more mainstream in the EU area means that scarce resources are being redirected in other areas. And they particularly see us, I have to say, as somewhat of, as laggards in our TB endeavours. So we have to have a step change in our approach. The forum is the way to do that. And I think, as you said yourself, there is evidence that everybody now realises uh, that we can do it. It's faderling and it's about taking the steps together that would get us there. And, Michael, you refer to other countries. Most other countries in Europe have eliminated TB, and then you pointed to Australia. But where do you think we differ? Is it purely implementation, not having enough people on the ground to take action when badger sets are located for vaccination, and we just don't have enough people on the ground for whatever reason. But why would you say we are apparently very low down in the achievement uh, rates, whereas in Australia and uh, North European countries, everything seems to you know, ha- have been achieved in terms of bovine TB eradication? 
Yes, look, I, I, I think it's important to state, though, that that has only happened in the relatively recent past, the, 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 the success of other countries. And we have the opportunity to learn from the steps that they took. And having all of the stakeholders around the table, I think, is a good start. There will be difficult days. There will be things that people will have to embrace in that journey that they might not otherwise have been prepared to do so. But we have to keep our eyes firmly on the prize. And that prize comes with kind of, obviously, relief at a farm gate level for farmers from the threat of TB. But it also comes with significant opportunities in the marketplace, I think, for us. So we need to remain focused on that. I do think the vaccination program on badgers is very significant in terms of the transmission from the wildlife population to the uh, to the cattle, and I think that's that's important. I, there are issues like residual levels of TB. There is the deer issue, which we focused on. There's obviously the issue of of the financial supports available to farmers that are going through uh, a TB outbreak. All of those are parts of the jigsaw, but I think the game changer is the vaccination. And I think also the the singular focus, nothing concentrates the mind like a hanging. Nothing concentrates the mind here now like the 2030 deadline. And I think uh, collectively around the table, I think that the, there's the capacity to deliver that. And that 2030, which you set as a deadline, you believe that's really something which can be achieved. And before we began broadcasting uh, on other occasions, we spoke about TB. You were saying, of course, the role of science, the role of science in modern times, that will be an additional boost to eradication, the accessibility to data, which wasn't available in the 50s and perhaps 60s and even 70s and later. But you feel with the implementation of scientific studies with the use of scientific knowledge and an increased awareness and indeed nothing, as you said, concentrates the mind like a hanging and the European Union funding is literally drawing up. So in fact, having said that 2030, you still feel it's quite achievable, but we have to really concentrate on it. Yeah, look, we don't have to reinvent the wheel now. The roadmap is there substantially in terms of the knowledge that we have, the experience of others, the progress in veterinary medicine. It's a question of tweaking it to a dire circumstance, but certainly uh, I'm certain that we have all the instruments in our own hands now uh, to deal with it. Obviously, there will be issues to be dealt with along the way. One of them that has raised its head and never has never gone away uh, in my time, and, and I'm sure for the current minister, will be around the issue of financial support for farmers on that journey, uh, particularly those that are impacted by an outbreak. But let's keep our mind focused on, on the prize. There will be challenges along the way, but it can be done. It certainly has to be done. It just, it's not that it just can be done. It has to be done. Well, thank you very much indeed for your valuable time, Deputy Michael Creed, Finnegale TD, Cork Northwest, and former Minister for Agriculture, the minister who set the target of 2030 for the elimination of TB. Michael, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. On Tuesday, 22nd of November, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell, announced the launch of the new Sheep Improvement Scheme and the opening of the online application facility. He said he was pleased to announce the launch of the scheme and to allow farmers' applications to be submitted. 
The scheme, he said, had been introduced with the aim of building on the progress under the Sheep Welfare Scheme, SWS, in the 2014 to 2022 Rural Development Programme RDP. Meanwhile, ICSA Sheep Chair, Mr Sean McNamara, has described the €12 on offer through the new Sheep Improvement Scheme as woefully inadequate and, he said, in fact, an insult to sheep farmers. He said cap payments are supposed to support farmers, not make a mockery of them. He said the €12 per breeding yo is an insult in this day and age, particularly now as we're watching our costs rise on an almost daily basis. The IFA National Poultry Chairman, Mr Nigel Sweetnam, has commended farmers, industry and the National Disease Control Centre for their tremendous efforts during this difficult season where HPAI is a massive threat to the poultry sector. A second case in a turkey flock was confirmed earlier this week. Irish Cattle and Chief Farmers Association National President, Mr Dermot Kelleher, has called on the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, Michael McGrath, the Minister for the Environment, Climate and Communications and Transport, Eamon Ryan, and the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellug, to all meet with farming organisations to forge a way forward for the Food Vision Beef and Sheep Group. Speaking at the National Potato Conference in County Meath on November 22nd, the IFA President, Mr Tim Cullinan, called on the newly approved Office for Fairness and Transparency in the Agri-Food Supply Chain to ensure a fair share of the consumer price is paid back to farmers and unfair trading practices are eliminated. Mr Philip Cotter, PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Philip, welcome to the programme. You have an update now on the ploughing situation in East Cork. Thanks very much, Sean. That's, that's correct. We had to cancel in Tupper House on Saturday, but we did plough in Kilbrin on Sunday, the 20th, last Sunday, and we actually had a very good, fine day and a lovely field, so everything went fine. And these are the results from Kilbrin. Uh, the scene opened first, Joe Tomey, second, Michael Hannon, and third, Joe Frost, the farmer is, first, Orla Hayes, the novice, First, Billy O'Connell. Three for a match. First, Jim Barris. The senior reversible. First, Paddy Harrington. Classic. First, Damien Ahern. Single for a vintage. Trevor Fleming. And the trailer vintage. Ianis Horden. The two for a vintage. First, Phelan Crother. Second, Tom Bozang. And third, Moss Fleming. Those actually are the results from Kilbrin John last Sunday. Now we're hoping to plough in Trooper House today, Saturday, but uh, uh, the weather is, is very dodgy, so we're not making any claims. But we might plough tomorrow, Sunday the 27th, and we'll make a decision today, Saturday. The, the forecast is pretty bad, but if we get a dry overhead, we might go ahead with it. Anyway, we'll... We'll wait and see, and uh, depending on how the forecast pans out. And if we do go ahead, I'll be back on tour with results from there. But a bit like every other county at the minute, if not, if water cancelled. Band here are hoping to go Sunday, the 4th of December. And uh, we'll see, with Topper House, we might be able to get going on tomorrow, the 27th. But it is very weather dependent. And if we don't, We'll have to make a decision as to whether we go next Saturday the third or leave it over until some other date. It's all a bit up in the air at the moment, John, but that's, that's because of the weather. So that's our situation.
So uh, Kilbrain are hoping to go on 4th of December and Tupper House may go tomorrow on the 27th and we'll call us uh, sometime today at lunchtime or something. I, I can give you a, a Phelan Carter 086-272-4171. If, if anybody are interested, Phelan Carter 086-272-4171. Mr Philip Carter, yeah. PRO for the Cork East Ploughing Association. Thank you very much indeed, Philip. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Miss Noreen O'Reilly, Chagas Cork East, reminds listeners to make sure they have enough silage or fodder for their animals in spring by acting now. Welcome, Noreen. Thank you, John. Yes, so now is the time actually to, to assess have you enough of silage? There's no point in looking at it when it's too late to take action. Now is the right time to take action. So the first thing is calculate what do I have? What is there on the ground or available to me? Uh, and then you, the next thing then is, is what would you need? So assessing what you have now on the ground. So if you have a pit of silage, you'd look at the length multiplied by the width multiplied by the average height in metres and divided by 1.4. And that will give you in that pit, within, on that concrete slab area, you have your uh, t- tons of fresh weight of silage. That's the way you'd assess that. So do that for your pit and do it for all your pits that you have available to you and you'll get your tons of fresh weight silage. Then your bales. Now, bales can vary in weight between 750 kg, 900 kg. So basically, know your number of bales. And I think on average, multiply it by 0.8 because approximate, that's 0.8 of a ton. And that will give you tons of fresh weight. So between the pit and all the bales added together, that will give you the total amount of fresh weight silage that you have. So that's what you have. We'll just deal with the silage. I know there can be other complications of hay and other things, but just deal with the silage first. Then what do you need? So what number of stock do you have right now? And also I would say with your pace, look at what you have now at the moment and you're working forward because a lot of people have silage fed already. So we're working forward. Okay, what have we now? So we worked out what's in our pits and what bales we have and then our stock. What stock will we have for the next four months? So our number of dairy cows on average multiplied by 1.6 tonnes per month. Now, I think it's safe to calculate it by four, four and a half months, depending on what part of the county. But I wouldn't be going three months. Don't be fooled in saying that I will have, place will be dry, I'll have all my stock grazing for the month of March. No, you need a safety net. So multiply by four, four and a half months. So your number of cows, dairy cows, multiplied by 1.6 by four, four and a half months. Suckler cows then would be a little less. It's 1.4 tonnes per cow per month. And then we'll say the bigger animals, whether they're over two or they're year and a half, that's 1.3 tonnes per head per month. So multiply by four. And then the rest, which would be the weanlands or the calves, kind of stock born in uh, 2022, you multiply by 0.7. So make that out in a page. Dairy cows, 1.6 per month. Suckler cows, 1.4. Um, cattle greater than, we'll say, year and a half would be 1.3. And then calves or weanlands that are 2022 born, they're 0.3 per month. Thank you very much indeed, Noreen. Miss Noreen O'Reilly, Chagas Cork East.
Thank you very much indeed, Noreen. Miss Noreen O'Reilly, Chagas Cork East. And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. My thanks as usual to Barry O'Mahony, News Editor, 96.3 FM News, and to Marie Tuig, 96.3 FM News Reporter, and all who contributed to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme this week. And of course, a special thank you to you, the listener, the most important person. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.